mental health can be a difficult topic to talk about. I'd like to change that. I'm Marcus Pipworth and welcome to the Ministry of Change podcast. Hello, yes, welcome to the podcast. Um, what can I say? These past few days the weather has been unbelievable. It's been so sunny, it's really uncharacteristic for um, the UK. Um, it's definitely easier to feel positive in the sunshine, I think. And um, these past few days I've just been outside so much, walking in the countryside as much as possible. I think it's something I find tremendously important for my well-being. Um, and yeah, so the other day I cracked out my barefoot shoes from hibernation uh, and I've been doing so much walking them. If you've never worn barefoot shoes, I highly recommend it. They're so uh, amazing. You can feel all the different textures and I think it makes walking really exciting. Um, just I always want to like sort of try out how the different textures feel on my feet. Um, I'm not sponsored by any barefoot uh, shoe companies. I just have a weird obsession about them. Uh, anyway, I'm aware this is a bizarre sidetrack. So uh, let's get into today's podcast, which is a conversation that I recorded on a not so warm day at the end of March this year when I went down to Thanet to meet Simon Medhurst at his home in Ramsgate. Uh, Simon got in contact with me. Uh, after Lily and Pete from We the Uncivilized shared my project on their social media challenge, uh, channels, Simon had seen their wonderful documentary, um, which uh, Lily and Pete travelled around the UK in a van uh, looking for positive stories about the future of our planet. And uh, from that, he'd been inspired to put on some screenings of that documentary and also start a men's talking circle and a community fire circle, both of which are spaces where people can sort of meet, and talk in a way that promotes openness, self-organisation, and really deep listening. Uh, He invited me down to experience these, which I did. Um, I mean, I I think beforehand I was a little bit anxious about how I'd be received as an outsider in quite these uh, quite small and intimate spaces. But as with most things that I feel anxious about, I realised that I didn't have anything to worry about, and both of these groups were incredibly warm and welcoming. It was really nice to sort of be invited in and see a little snippet of some sort of really positive work that's happening in a community that I know nothing about. I've never been down to uh, Thanet um, or that part of the world at all. So it was it was really good to be welcomed there. Uh, in this conversation with Simon, he talks about his experiences with depression and access to statutory mental health services. Uh, we go into a bit about sort of the collective fear of death that we have and the effect that this has on our lives and also the impact that we're having uh, as uh, the human race on the planet and sort of things that maybe we can do to start turning that around a bit. Uh, I found it a really interesting conversation and I hope you do too. Uh, Before we get into it, I'll just say that I was experimenting with a new mic, which turned out to be incredibly sensitive. So there are a few bits where the mic picks up shuffling of clothes, uh, sipping of drinks and amplifies the sound beyond anything that I would have thought possible so uh, apologies for that and I hope that doesn't affect your listening too much and uh, anyway here is a conversation between me and Simon Ramsgate and, and Margate and Thanet in, in general has a I mean there's very high levels of child poverty um there are all sorts of different social problems that present um, at quite high levels within Thanet. Um, and uh, I, I've 
the provision of services it feels to me and in my experience I suffered a depression here when I was living here maybe uh, eight or nine years ago and access to any kind of support was, was both um, a long time coming and Spartan that's the best I can describe that um, medication was just thrown at you but <clears throat> there was almost a reluctance to offer any sort of counselling or any talking, talking therapies um, com- conversely in other places in the country well, my, my experience in other places in the country are, are limited to um, my daughter who also suffers with anxiety and depression and uh, she lives in Bournemouth, she's at college in Bournemouth and her access to services down there has been much better um, much quicker, much more thorough um, and much more geared towards talking therapies Why do you think that is? I, I mean initially because you know, on the face of it because she asked not to be put on medication, she'd been on medication before and she didn't like it, she felt that it was a dulling experience to both extremes of her um, emotional spectrum and she didn't want to do it again um, <coughs> excuse me and so she asked not to do that but also um, there was provision available both at the college that she goes to um, and through her, her general practitioner um, Although she was initially offered um, medication, she was she was very quickly offered a number of other. And she's within a month, I think, seeing a psychologist who's put together a programme of help for her, which will kick in fairly quickly. Um, it, it, it's it's still not ideal. It's not immediate, um, but alongside that, they offered um, phone numbers where they could be contacted immediately. Um, should the need arise, and that's not something that I've experienced or she's experienced in Thanet. Um, she experienced a bet. She had a better experience in Thanet than I did because she was under eighteen. Um, so there are things which are put in place for children, um, which happen a lot quicker. So do you think that's quite a common situation in 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 a lot of places, not just in Thanet? I, I I imagine so. I mean, I I. Um, my first experience with mental health services was when I was, I was uh, 18, I think. I had a, a protracted depression at 18. Um, and it was a very different experience then. That was... What was protracted depression? Uh, well, I, I, I had a depression for a long period of time, A, before okay. it was diagnosed, and B, before... So, A, before it was taken seriously, and B, before it was... Uh, uh, I, and then I was on medication for five years, I think. Okay. Um, because uh, the medication was quite difficult to come off. I'm not going to say addictive, but I think probably. Um, and that was in uh, Bromley. Um, but it was, but it was a it was a very different experience. Um, and I can chuckle at it now, <laughs> but it was scary at the time. Scary in what way? Well, I, I, I had no um, access to anybody. My um, family did their best to support me, but had no concept of what depression was at the time or, or how to deal with it. Um, and they, they were, you know, as 
as I've been with my daughter, very scared of that process, and you know, it's, it's um, one of the most frightening things um, to have to go through. And and the the statutory provision was, here are some drugs. Um, go away, come back in three weeks when you'll start to feel a bit better. Um, and I didn't. And um, but also I, it, it, my initial experience with the GP was, well, you, you'll be okay, don't worry. You're just feeling a bit down. You'll get over it. Um, and I, I actually was lucky that my um, uh, some of my family were involved in the medical profession in London and had access to uh, I got access to a psychiatrist who um, I remember visiting and thinking very more need of <laughs> of counselling than I am um, and. Uh, at the end of the day, he said, "Yeah, no, he's not depressed." Uh, I didn't really understand that. <laughs> didn't really understand what was going on. Do you, do you have any insight now, like why why he would say that, or just? That he... I, I have. He had almost almost a, t a checklist of things which which he needed to ascertain as to whether or not I had depression. Um, and and I went into a. Um, book-walled office with you know wood panelling and a, he sat there behind a desk with a tie on and a jacket and I remember him to this day and um, spoke with a, a, a almost you know, really stereotypical what you'd imagine in the films yeah. as a sort of 19th okay. century kind of uh, uh, psychotherapist talking down to you and that was my experience with him. So it's sort of like a, an academic approach to something yeah. which requires a very human approach. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. yeah okay, I see. Yeah. yeah. So what um what do you what do you think are some good alternatives? That's that's actually one of the things I'm really interested in. I have that same experience with depression from my own experiences and speak to a lot of other people that there is this sort of like tendency you go into your GP and they prescribe medication put you on a waiting list for talking therapy and that's sort of I don't know if that's changing but that definitely a few years ago was the way and I and I think like I'm very interested <coughs> in thinking that that's a way but definitely the medication like is it necessarily at the first port of call or are there other things you can do I guess it, it depends I would imagine on, on on the individual but I'm interested in exploring what those other sort of alternative ways of seeking Help or treatment are. Um, what, what do you? What are your, some of your experiences? I think. I think. Um, I think. I think the provision that's there at the moment. I think the statutory provision that's there at the moment is extremely limited, extremely myopic, and, and but also very narrow-minded, very, very narrow perspective. So you're offered, as you say, you're offered medication and then talking therapy. I think. I think medication is occasionally necessary. Um, <clears throat> as we were talking last night, as, as a last resort rather than as a first port of call, I think talking therapies are are important. I think they're necessary, but I think that I think statutorily that's where the provision generally stops. Um, and there are lots of voluntary sector or charitable um, charity sector or full sector provisions which are. Um, much more useful. There's a there's a garden project in in Margate called the Garden Gate Project, which is a 
project that was set up, I think about eight or nine years ago now. I might I might be completely wrong about that, but it's but it's a fair while. Um, that provides an outdoor space to they they grow a garden basically, um, and they offer support to people with mental health issues, um, with learning difficulties, um, and a lot of marginalised people who um, who are uh, who who also who not only are statutorily referred but also um, voluntarily referred themselves and go and um, engage with them, which is which is which is really good. It's a beautiful garden. It's a lovely. It's a calm place. Um, I think in the environment of of statutory services is horrible. And I just, I'm struggling to put it into words because it's so deficient. <laughs> um, the services that are available for people, the, the sort of stru- but it's but it's a fundamental structure of our society that we have at the moment. But we don't talk to each other adequately enough. We don't, and when we do talk to each other, it's in constrained ways, which don't talk about things. We had a conversation about death, and don't talk about things like that. You know, we don't we don't talk about um, we don't talk in an effective way or an appreciative way about our life experiences. And why do you think that is? Um, because we live in a culture which creates creates fear, and, and that fear boils down to the fear. For me, in in my opinion, that fear boils down to a fear of death. Um, and we don't have that conversation. We don't have the conversation about death. We don't. We're not friends with death. We're scared of it. Um, and if you're scared of death, then then you can't have a conversation about it, which allow you know it's as again as we said earlier, it's something which we all share. It's perhaps the only thing that we know with any certainty will happen to us at some stage, and yet we're unable to um, we're unable to live as if that's going to happen. We live as if we live in fear of it, and we live with a belief that um, generally we live with a be- belief that it's not going to happen to us, and it's almost a surprise. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is which is which is patently bizarre. And do you think it's possible to sort of to get through that fear of death, or is that fear of death an important thing to just to come to terms with? Uh, I think death is an important thing to come to terms with. I don't think we necessarily have to be in fear of it. Um, I think we can have a relationship with it. I think we can have a. Um, we can. Uh, we can. We can wake up each morning. In, when when we wake up in the morning, I was listening to something which a guy called Stephen Jenkinson was talking about, and he said when you wake up each morning expecting to live. Um, creates an environment for your day but if you wake up each morning without that expectation not necessarily with an expectation to die but but with an expectation that that entertains that prospect you look at the day very differently and that's starting to have a relationship with death that's starting to um, bring those things which we don't talk about into your life it's, it's not about you know, we are so inculcated with a fear of death. It, 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 
even the conversation that I'm having with you now about that, you know, about that, even talking about having a relationship with death is constrained by a fear of death. It's it's almost inconceivable to have a healthy relationship with death in our society as it, as it stands. Everything we're presented with is presented with a youth kind of um, idolisation and adulation of youth, which, which you know, um, essentially one of the things that you get asked at significant birthdays, and I had my 50th birthday last year, was, was how old do you feel? Yeah. You know, you're 50, how old do you feel? And most people say, oh, I still feel 21, I still feel like I was when I was 18, and I don't, I feel like I'm 50. And for all the good and bad of that, and, and um, it just, it's just a, and I get looked at really strangely, and I say, oh, God, you feel really old. And, no, I feel, I feel okay, I feel like I'm 50, and that's okay. Um, and I'm not trying to say that I don't have a fear of death, I do have a fear of death, but it's something which I'm working on. Um, but we're just unable to have that conversation. Yeah, how, how do you think we start having those conversations? Um, I think I think I'm going to try and I mean, from from in a, on, a, on, a, on a practical note, I'm hopefully setting up a um, death cafe in in uh, Ramsgate, and um, which is a space where people can come and talk about their experiences of death in a in a in a non kind of therapy and it's not grievance counselling it's not facilitated it's a circle of yeah. people talking to each other as equals and um, having a starting to have a conversation about death how death affects us as well what, what that's like you know um. so I guess there's sort of two two sort of areas around that there's, there's firstly there's that, that sort of coming to terms with or accepting that grief in terms of death as a concept in general as it affects your life and then there's the second part is confronting your own death both of them challenging but yeah in- incredibly challenging I think I think grief is, an in- is, a, is a really interesting um, uh, thing I, mean, I, th- I think we're, we're as a planet I think we're in a stage of um, I think people are gradually waking up to the fact that as far as the status, the ecological status of the planet is concerned, we're in a fairly dire place and um, a lot of people would say we're beyond dire and we're actually hopeless. It's something which we've taken too long to try and solve. Do you think they sort of both come, stem from the same place? There's this sort of uh, fear of death and an un- unable to accept dying and then around us there's also like the fear of like, accepting the fact that we're destroying the planet and so it's very much a, like sort of living yeah. not fo- not looking forward to the future yeah. there's a sort of weird situation where people like are worried about sort of being present <laughs> but also worried about thinking too far ahead mm. so like you live in this sort of limbo where like you the big things are always ignored focus on like sort of the little mm. niggly unimportant things really absolutely I think there is a real parallel then I think there's a real parallel about our fear of death and and um, and not looking at it and and the death of the planet as far as we're concerned as a species and not looking at that I 
think those two things ride, ride alongside and focusing on other small minutiae nonsenses is, ab- is absolutely where we're at I think there's a and 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 in that sense there's a, there's yeah. a there is a you know what I um, went to a workshop with Martin Shaw and he's a, recently he's a storyteller and um, mythologist and he was talking about you know the the we need to be grieving for the world. The only really useful thing we can do at the moment is grieve. Yeah. Um, and and that's not necessarily uh, you know we we don't have to spend our time wailing and, and um that's a constructive process. Grieving is a constructive process. It's a beautiful process and a constructive process is something which we need to engage in and and it and it, it enables you to think about things in different ways. How would you grieve for the world? Uh, St- Stephen Jenkins says to, to become a, when you become awake the meaning of the word awake is is etymologically is something like um, I'm going to misquote him here and I apologise um, but it's something like um, being claimed by the ripples of consequences um, that fan out from you as you as you do what you do um, and I think that to become awake in that sense, to become awake to the ripples of consequences that fan out from you as part of your life, is and take take responsibility as far as is humanly possible, or or maybe even socially possible, within your remit and your realm is 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 a way of acknowledging. Um, Our impact um, and um, coming into uh, a place of at which point there there is a there will be an emotional response to that and that will be grieving and that will be sadness and and I think that that's uh, but also uh, also hopefully a a change in attitude and a change in behaviour towards towards the planet and what we do. on a daily basis um, and yeah I think that's, that's important to start doing those small things um, you know uh, we don't really have any kind of uh, spiritual kind of relationships which um, uh, generally as a society you know science is our god and um, I think that we need to come back into relationship with the earth as a uh, as a as a spiritual thing, whatever you perceive that to be. But so I, I think that's a f- an interesting point, and I would. How afraid? Do you think that um, one of the um, reasons why there is so much things? around sort of depression and anxiety is because of that sort of lack of connection to the earth do you, do you see that a reconnection with the earth is something that might feel like a a void which 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 uh, sort of encompasses a lot of our society and a lot of our individual sense of self uh, absolutely i think i think separation from from the earth is is a and from the planet is a all-encompassing malady for people in certainly in the Western world. Um, 
and something which um, I feel deeply um, in my bones um, and uh, it's I certainly feel was part of the root of my depression um, um, Charles Eisenstein said I don't want to misquote him again he said something like um, no no amount of expansion of the separate self can, can compensate for the lack of connected self and he was talking about connected with other people but also connection with the earth and I think that's absolutely right no matter what you do to expand your mind or to expand your um interests or, or whatever it doesn't compensate for that lack of connection and so yes I think I think that that's that's very much at the root of a lot of mental health issues that we have there's this concept of mental health being this thing that we need to sort of like get rid of and cure whereas like listening to what you said you can see that actually it's something that if we could reframe it to something that actually it's sort of like a something that's calling to us it's, it's it's like a message telling us sort of these are the these are the things that we can sort of look into these are the things that are missing these are the things we can explore so like rather than saying let's medicate it saying let's listen to it and see like what we can learn from it absolutely yeah it's a it's almost a flag for for something that's uh, ailing in a broader sense you know societally or yeah, globally almost, but but um, you know it's a it's a it's a it's a wake up call for you know, connection. Well, thanks so much for Simon for giving me some time to sit down and have a chat and to show me around Thanet. I'm definitely going to be heading back down there. There's so much happening around sort of Margate and Ramsgate, and um, I'd really like to explore a little bit further. Um, and uh, if you're down that way and uh, you are interested, then I'll put you in co- get in contact with me, and I can put you in contact with Simon. And uh, yeah, I'm sure you'd be welcome along to any of those circles or other community events. Um, if you want to find out more about what I'm doing with my mental health journey around the UK, then check out my website, which is www.theministryofchange.org. I'm on, always on the lookout for people to talk to you for the podcast, experiences to uh, go and experience. And so if you have somewhere that you think or you are someone that you think may be interested to the project, get in contact. Uh, always looking for some friendly faces, place to park my van, place to grab a shower. Uh, yeah, get in contact. I'd love to hear from you. Um, also, um, I, I mean, I initially got some funding to help me start this project, and now it's basically like a passion project, which I'm sort of doing uh, mainly sort of self-funded at the moment. I'm just starting a Patreon page, and if you don't know what Patreon is, it's sort of a, I guess, like a similar to a crowdfunding platform and uh really that's just a sort of way of um trying to make this a little bit more financially sustainable for me so if you enjoy listening to these then and you have some money to spare then think about checking that out and if you don't that's totally fine um just listening is what i want you to do really but uh any anything that can help that's lovely um i'll put a link down in the uh notes 
to the Patreon page. And uh, yeah, but honestly, yeah, um, thanks so much for tuning in. And I am going to go out and enjoy this sunshine where it lasts, because I imagine the next time I'm speaking to you, it may not be like this. Okay, thank you so much and see you soon. No, I won't see you. I'll hear- no, I won't hear you either. Uh, you'll hear me. Hear me soon. Okay, <laughs> goodbye.